Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Roddy and today I'm joined by Jeff. Hello. And we are so excited to be welcoming award-winning local author Beverly Jenkins to the podcast. Beverly Jenkins was born in Detroit and is currently based in Benton Harbor and is the recipient of the 2018 Michigan Author Award by the Michigan Library Association, along with the 2017 Romance Writers of America Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award, as well as the 2016 Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Award for Historical Romance. A lot of romance, Roddy. Yes. Earlier in the year when we did our first episode on the genre of romance, Beverly Jenkins' name and her numerous works came up almost immediately. This is essentially the third part in a now trilogy of romance episodes. (laughs) Along with the awards I'd previously mentioned, Jenkins has been nominated for the NAACP Image Awards in Literature and was featured in both the documentary Love Between the Covers and on CBS Sunday Morning. Now she's on our podcast. (laughs) Since the publication of Night Song in 1994, she has been leading the charge for inclusive romance and has garnered acclaimed reviews from the Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, and NPR. Her newest book, To Catch a Raven, came out last month. Here's our chat with Beverly Jenkins. Roddy comes from California. She has a complicated relationship with the sun. She doesn't like it. No. Uh Oh, (laughs) then you must love Michigan between like November and April. I do, actually. I I will admit that I think February is like a universally um, like chilly in ways that, you know, kind of seeps into your bones a little bit. So I will admit that that's rough. But otherwise crazy about the fall and winter here oh, yeah i love fall yeah january is usually our how long have you been in michigan i have been here since 2019 oh, okay so not not that long but long enough to to know that your no the your your hair uh nose and your hair in your i'm on deadline so i'm working with like three brain cells here <laughs> um i was gonna say you've been here long enough to know that your nose hair freeze in january <laughs> and January is our coldest month and February is our snowiest. Yes. So, yeah. Well, welcome to Michigan. Thank you. Or the mitten, as we call it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Roddy, I don't yeah. want to embarrass you, but can you tell Beverly your your story? Didn't you first find her books in a, in a bookstore in California? Okay. So this is actually you're slightly out of order, but okay, I'll okay. get to it. So <laughs> you have done interviews and things with the Rip Bodice um, bookstore, Mm -hmm. which they were my introduction, or I should say formal introduction into romance novels because- Oh, okay. It's a great story. (laughs) It is. What happened is that when I was in college, I did this program that was about the Western canon. So I was reading a lot of heavy philosophy and histories and things like that. And I did enjoy it, but I kind of graduated not really knowing what or how to read anymore, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it and, does. Um, I eventually found my way to the Rip Bodice because my friends were like, oh, there's this bookstore here that only sells romance novels. And I was like, yeah, let's go, whatever. You had me at a bookstore. Um, so we went and I saw your books on the shelf. 
And then I also saw a free of like other books like Alyssa Cole and um she was still yeah. releasing her Reluctant Royal series at the time and things like okay. that. So I just bought a few books and then that was the beginning of the end, um, as far yeah. as me with romance novels. <laughs> but I will say the distinct moment was in 2020 when we were locked down and I was going through this horrible reading slump and the Robotics was doing this great care package booking yeah. during that time that I definitely bought multiple packages for myself and others. Rebecca Weatherspoon tweeted about your book Captured. Yeah, that's her favorite. The, it's now my favorite too. Specifically oh, the bath scene. And I was like, wait, I want to read this book. And I know that you said that you want people to read your books in order, but I went straight for Captured. And that was the be I was just like, oh, oh my God, this is everything that I've ever yeah. wanted in a romance novel. So that's your story. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm gonna be with Alyssa tomorrow night. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she does a, a what she calls date night. Um, sponsored by Loyalty Bookstore, mm -hmm. which is in I think Maryland. I think they've got one in DC. So it's gonna be she's the moderator, and she's been going on all summer. And she's had, and I think it's once a month, and you know, various romance uh, writers and readers are. So it'll be Alyssa and brenda jackson oh my goodness and walk tomorrow night and then i did a chat with rebecca mm -hmm. last week when the new book dropped on tuesday mm -hmm. i think my thing with um and it was at the rib was sponsored by them i think it was either tuesday or wednesday like i said i'm on deadline and you know book drop <laughs> you don't know what day it is you don't know your name you don't know where your car is parked in the grocery store parking lot so um but yeah, you know, the pandemic has been interesting in the sense that so many people flocked mm -hmm. to romance. Numbers went up, mm -hmm. you know, sky high. And I think it had a lot to do with, you know, people looking for comfort. Yes. People looking for, you know, something to that was not necessarily low impact, mm -hmm. but something that they could embrace since you know you couldn't control what's going on out in the world right but you know you're going to get that hea with romance it's a matter of how your different authors will spend that you know people call it a formula but every every genre has a formula yes i mean you don't have a mystery without a dead body <laughs> you know you don't have it fixed lit liter literary fiction without you know navel gazing angst you know, so <laughs> you know it's all about people wanting something that was familiar. And a lot of people came to romance for the very first time mm -hmm. and wound up going, whoa, yeah, these books are great. Yeah. And I can get it in any subgenre. I can get paranormal. I can get, you know, monsters. I can get, you know, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm proud to have been in this industry for God, 28 years now. Yes. Um, um, Night Song was published the year I was born. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry to put everyone's name up there. But you know what? It's still in print. Yes. It's, it's still making mama money. And I I noticed that um so I've tweeted at and about you several times. Jeff did not know this before today, but my first Twitter interaction with Beverly Jenkins was actually 
a year or two ago around Black History Month, I was doing okay. a series of um, TikTok videos. This was before I worked here. Um, and each day was a different author. And I would do their entire bibliography. And <laughs> I did it over like various genres and things like that. And your name was, of course, at the top of the list for romance. Oh, and <laughs> I, I... At the time, I was just like, yeah, of course, I'm going to talk about Beverly Jenkins. And then when I was getting the video together because I was using all the book covers and things like that, making sure that their titles and everything were evident. I, You had a four part video series of just your books. And I still feel like I missed some. And oh. it, <laughs> I, your bibliography is uh, like mind boggling. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, then I look at it. You know, you look at Brenda Jackson, who's got, yes. you know, like a, a thousand and, and one books. And, <laughs> and you look at Nora, you know, Nora Roberts, who is the queen of us all. Um, you know, and Nora's got <clears throat> eight million zillion, you know, plus yes. mountains and, you know, <laughs> private jets and all of that. But, you know, so proud to be in an industry with her because of the money that she sent up north mm. a couple weeks ago to help, um, that little library. Yes. I can't think of the name of the library now, but you all know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. I but yeah, we raised some account. money for them too. We put up a, you know, I put up the GoFundMe um, link the first night that I saw it, and a lot of people from Romance started sending money because we're pretty active. Yes. Politically and socially, not just socially, but politically too. Um, raised 400, a little bit over 400,000 for Stacey Abrams yes. uh, two years ago. The fear, um, romance, in the, romance in the Runoff, that's yes. what it was called. I have um, participated in some of those bids, specifically for your books. I have not yet achieved it, but I will <laughs> keep trying as long as you all do them. It is, I yeah, this is so much news for you that I just I was love it. keeping. Yeah, um, yeah. But speaking of which, I know that like libraries have always been really important to you. And I would this not is be here were it not for libraries. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very first one that I read my way out of, I read every book in that library, as you probably have heard me say before in other interviews, uh, the Mark Twain Library, which is no longer there, mm -hmm. on uh, Gratiot and Burns on the east side of Detroit. And my mom was, a, 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 was an avid reader. We lost her two years ago. My dad read a lot. My sisters and brothers, I mean, I'm the oldest of seven. Mm. And so we all, you know, are very, very avid readers and always have been. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then I worked at Michigan State University's library for a while after I decided I no longer wanted to go to school. And then I worked at Park Davis, which was probably one of the first uh, big pharma. They're no longer. Um, they were bought by Warren Lambert, who was bought by Pfizer here in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was working when I first got published was at the Park Davis Library. I was working at the reference desk. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to ask anything yeah. before I keep going? No, no. I, well, you mentioned how romance can be in a variety of genres. I just was mm -hmm. curious what drew you into the, I guess, historical fiction side of things when it came to romance. I, you know, I tell people it's the first thing that's sold. Because I was not writing for publication. I was writing basically for me. Because back then, uh, this was mid-80s, the market was basically closed to African-American mass market, period. You know, not just romance, but mysteries and all of that, too. 
So um, I'd always loved a good love story and loved historical romance when I started reading romance. So I was just writing a, a, a love story with a, a Buffalo soldier and an Oberlin graduate school teacher for myself. Um, because like I said, the market was basically closed. And then one of my coworkers at Park Davis had been, had just been published by a small independent press up near, I think they were up near Howell. Um, she had a sweet romance, which is, you know, off the page, fade to black, no, no love scenes on the page kind of thing. Mm. And uh, we were celebrating her. And I just happened to mention this book that I was writing, like I said, for me. So she had me bring it in and, looked at it and said, you know, you need to get this published. And I told her where, <laughs> you know, so, so I, you know, and we're still good friends today and she's, she's published also since then. But, you know, I, I tell people that she harassed me every day. I come to work, you know, did you find an agent? Did you, did you, did you? So basically just to shut her the hell up, I looked around and actually did find an agent. And they bought uh, Avon. I got the call, as we call it, from the publisher uh, on my, well, he's now my late husband, my husband's birthday. Mm. It's June 3rd, 1993. And then it was published the year you were born, <laughs> a year later. So, uh, but then, you know, I, one of the things that the editor, I'm, 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 this is a long winded answer to your question about historical romance. One of the things the editor, <laughs> mentioned after they bought the book. She said, you know, we know you can write. We love the we love the sub scenes, but we need a story. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people figure, you know, romance, I know what I was doing, first book, just like anybody else. So it was full of heat and not a whole lot of story. <laughs> so um, Spice, as the kids call it. Yeah, I, I knew that our, our experiences and our history in this country uh, was deeply rooted and, and wide and deep and solid and all that. So it didn't make much sense for me to have these African-American lead characters and set it up against a majority white background. Mm-hmm. So having been in libraries all my life and worked at a research library at Michigan State for, I don't know, seven or eight years, I knew what to look for. I, I tell people my mom was black with what was fashionable, so I was raised with Black History of Mom, which is the first mass migration African-Americans out of the South, mm-hmm. um, not to be confused with the Great Migration of 1900. This was 1879, right after the, the gutting of Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And these people moved west as opposed to north. Mm-hmm. They moved west to Iowa and Nebraska and California, uh, Colorado. And so you had all these little townships from the Mississippi West with, you know, these small pockets of, of black folks. And one of the most famous is Nicodemus up in um, Graham County in Kansas, on the plains of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so I used that model to create the world building for my first book. Because I, I, I always set my books where black people actually walked. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to answer the questions of, well, did black people really do this? And so I put a bibliography also in the back of the book for that reason and for the reason for those who might want to do more research. You know, knowledge is power, but it's not power if you don't share it. So rather than have someone who may be interested in the great exodus of 1879 
and you know they're done with the book and they're like well where do i find more information on this you know which is why i put the bibliography and the and the sites that i that i use and back so so from then you know they gave me another contract after their first book and so the second book is set on the western side of michigan because those black townships uh near niles and uh, Benton Harbor and over that way were settled before Michigan even became a state. So I set second book there and I used uh, the history book was that those townships, but also the uh, African-American female doctors mm-hmm. that we know very, very little about, but they were a force for our communities in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because for a lot of them, they were the only doctors of any race or any gender in a lot of the areas. So so that one's vivid and it's set on the western side of the state. And they kept giving me contracts and I kept writing <laughs> books. So you know, now I think I've got, I don't know, 50, I may have 50, 52 books or so. Most of them are historical. Mm-hmm. Some of them are contemporary because I like, you know, car chases and blowing stuff up. I get to do that with the with the contemporaries. Um, a couple are young adult historicals, very, very age appropriate. So I'm having a good time. <laughs> it sounds like um, it. I yeah. have definitely waxed poetic about your research before as historical romances have come up because it's just, honestly, it's pretty much my favorite part i mean there's so much to the stories and it's so rich but i really really enjoy history and Mm -hmm. i was just saying like it's not these aren't just romance books that are just simply like set at a period of time like they are very very much entrenched of in the history of that time and i'm like oh i'm i'm learning as i'm reading these and not just about you know the clothes but events and places and you know these little townships that you talked about and things like that and yeah actually it's so funny that one of my notes was talking about your research and you already did that for me but i know jeff had a question oh yeah um I was just curious, do you have a favorite era to research? 19th century. Okay. 19th century, yeah. Um, because, I mean, number one, it's a century that we don't know a lot about. Mm-hmm. We don't teach that in school. And there were so many, there's so many levels to African-American history during that century. Um, yes, we were slaves. And then there's, and I've said this before, you know, they freed us in 1865, and it's like the Borg took us for 100 years, right? <laughs> so there's no, I'm a Star Trek person too, so there's no <laughs> history. You don't read about the black cop. I mean, we got kids kids today who are screaming about, you know, the, the discrimination in the all-black colleges, and they have no idea why these colleges came to be, mm-hmm. you know, because we weren't allowed to go. So we had to build our own. We don't hear about the black inventors. We don't hear about, you know, the 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 strides that were made in spite of all of the limits mm-hmm. that America has given the race. Um, we kept making as much lemonade out of those lemons as we could, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. You know? Right. And um, your focus on reconstruction specifically, because that's such a neglected 
um, yeah. time period. Like you said, we kind of go to, from like, okay, slavery happened, then the Civil War, and then we'll skip to the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah, um, we, we, but, we, we, they pick us up again, right, and watch in 1965. Right. And um, so that's also particularly interesting to me because you've talked about like your family's like your parents educating you on your history and things like that and that was very much the case for me growing up because i grew up well my grandparents lived in watts um during the riots too my parents were born not very long after and then i grew up primarily in compton california but i got to through (laughs) through my grandparents and my parents kind of learn about these things and there's a lot of historical black neighborhoods in california specifically yeah, southern yeah. california like lamert park for instance where right. um yeah. i don't know if you're familiar with esawan books they are unfortunately yeah, I've closing been i've been there i've been there lots of times yeah i they, know that area very well they are closing at the end of this Marcus year books in Oakland. yes yeah. and <laughs> it's heartbreaking but you know that those were kind of in a way not just my parents' stumping grounds as a child, but also mine because they were just like, here, we are going to supplement everything you're not yeah, likely yeah. to get in school. And so recon- like the fact that you focus on those time periods were always such yeah, a big draw yeah. for me because I was like, oh, like yeah. I can only find so much, but like there was, like I said, your research, the layers to your novels were... Yeah. It was you know, you have to tell the truth, too. Yes. Because, you know, people are, are, there's so much misinformation floating around in the world right now. Um, and even back then. So, but, you know, the because, I guess because of my library background, mm-hmm. it was very, I don't want to say easy, but not difficult mm-hmm. to find the sources that I need, needed and to rely on the scholarship of African-American historians. Right. You know, a lot of times people will, you know, whatever their subject matter is, and instead of going to Native historians or Black historians or or Asian historians, Mm -hmm. they stay with, you know, the tried and the true, the the majority-focused historians. And as a result, they miss the real story. Yes. (laughs) You know, you miss the story of, of, of the Chinese Exclusion Act. You miss the stories of the race riots involving the Chinese in, in Denver. And the you know, and this is, these are, you know, white generated riots. I mean, they were lynching the Chinese in, in, in LA, um, hanging them from gaslight posts, you know, because they were different and other and they're taking our jobs and all the, the same book that we're getting now. So, and that's one of the reasons too why I'm drawn to the mm-hmm. 19th century because it parallels what we're going through right now. You know, the same kinds of uncertainties, the same types of insecurities, you know, the same kinds of, of, of disenfranchisement for, mm-hmm. for marginalized and for women. But, you know, sometimes America doesn't learn and yeah. we're, we're doomed to... To, to have to deal with the same kinds of things over and over and over again, mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at what happened in the past and say, okay, well, let's not do this again. Mm-hmm. Let's try something else. So I love that. I love the history of that era of that era. Yeah. It's, 
I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that really stood out to me about the past couple of years and the particular riot of that nature that you we've seen in a lot of pop culture representation recently has been the Tulsa massacre, which people, I was surprised to know that people didn't know about it, but then I also had to kind of step back and think about who raised me. So, and then I realized that people were, it was... It was what is the name? Why am I blanking on Watchmen? The Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen and also um, Lovecraft Country touched on it and things like that. And I was just thinking, oh man, if this is how you're finding out about this, there are so many more that you. Oh yeah. Rosewood. Yes. Right in the in 1943. Yes. Uh, But you know it. I think part of the, the the thing is is America doesn't want to deal with the truth a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, they rather, you know, there's the, the manifest destiny and, you know, the, the great exceptionalism and all of that doesn't play into the true history. No. So let's not teach it in school, <laughs> you know. Um, so, but, you know, the history will, will remain, you know, whether... We learn it from romance novels or whether we learn it from um, television or, you know, or, or whether we do it orally in, in the library, you know. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's the, the horse is already out of the barn. You know, they, they can't put the horse back in the barn with the history because there's too many people of all races oh. who are um, determined. Mm-hmm that those facts will remain in the culture and in the country, we hope. I have so many things that I want to talk to you about. I'm sorry. I'm like going through the <laughs> Rolodex in my mind. But um, I think I really want to, I want to touch on two things. One of them is just an acknowledgement really quickly because I don't have alerts for your tweets on, I promise, but I see a lot of them. And I remember um, someone who I think might be a mutual of both of us uh, was posting her vast collection of your books and you remarked that you were so surprised that someone her age had as many of your (laughs) books as she did and (laughs) I read the tweet and in my mind I was just like oh if only she knew there has been I uh, I I don't want to call it a resurgence because I feel like that's a discredit to you, but I've noticed that a lot of people my age and younger have mm-hmm. your books are we're all just flocking to them in mass yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm on my. You guys, I think of the fourth generation mm-hmm. of my books, and it's such an honor, and it's very humbling that. A book that's 27, 28 years old is just being discovered mm-hmm. and loved. So, you know, I, I, the, the, the BookTok kids and the TikTok kids and, you know, all of that is very, very interesting to me. But then a lot of them were raised by their moms and their grandmothers who read my books. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of them started with the young adult, uh, Belle and Josephine. Mm-hmm. And are now old enough to read what we call the big girl books. <laughs> you know, um, they don't have to sneak 
their mom's books anymore. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I started out doing that part. Not really. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. A lot. Of, you know, I have a, a, a longtime reader out in California. Um, her daughter was, uh, she's graduated now, but she was at Spelman. And uh, the reader went into her bedroom and found her indigo was missing. <laughs> and her daughter had taken it mm-hmm. to school with her. Oh, fine. So I told her, I said, well, you tell her to give her mama her book back and I will send her her <laughs> own copy. No. She said, and that's my autograph copy, too. I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, so, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, your books are very much loved still because they are timeless. And I know that. And you just you just made a Star Trek reference, too. I know that you love science fiction and fantasy. Um mm-hmm. Like, uh, obviously, Star Trek and Dune, um, the Devabad trilogy, which I was reading mm-hmm. recently, too. It's so yeah. good. And I think it's fascinating that, like, as much as you love um, all genres, that you still choose to write in the real. Um, and I'm wondering, like, as you were talking about research and history and things like that that too like obviously fantasy is a lot of fun especially for black writers i know a lot who are working on things right now who are just like i they're saying like oh i want to write fantastical romance or just Mm -hmm. fantasy novels because sometimes the real history the real truth they're trying to figure out how to justify their existence in spaces is a really daunting task to undertake but you have managed to write just all of these books that take place within the real but still have these happily ever afters while not sugarcoating or glossing over the actual history yeah Yeah, you can't whitewash the history or or you can't ignore it Mm mm-hmm but I mean, if you look back, if we spent all of our lives bemoaning, you know, the treatment that we've been given, we wouldn't be here. I mean, you know, as I said before, even with all the lemons, we still go to colleges. We still got married. Mm-hmm. We still had birthday parties. <laughs> we still had church. You know, all of the things that structure a culture mm-hmm. and a community. The conditions of of America could not stomp that out. And I think that that is why we continue to strive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and and you can't tell the story without telling the truth. I mean, yeah, I could come in and write a, you know, uh, historical that, you know, and people would be riding on the trains with no problems, you know, and all that. And you're like, why? Where's the Jim Crow trap? You know, where's, you know, the discrimination in in housing? But you put that in there to give it the depth, Mm -hmm. the story, the depth that it needs. But it's still basically a love story Mm -hmm. because we love, we still love. I mean, we, we, I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, but, you know, there was always this little old couple at the church who'd been married 50 years. Right who were still holding hands coming out to, out the building on their way to the park, into the parking lot on their way to the car. Mm-hmm. You know, we had those examples in our lives. Mm-hmm. So we had the love. It's just 
the majority culture didn't think that we loved. There's no thing as no such thing as black love. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. How about I give you fifty books and you can figure it out? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you mentioned trains because that just took me to the train one of the train scenes in Nighthawk, in which he throws <laughs> someone off the train in defense yeah. of the main heroine and i was like see that is an amazing <laughs> this is one of the best romantic gestures i've ever read in my life it was something else <laughs> um my gun my gun toting bible quoting bounty hunter yes who was also a lawyer also a lawyer <laughs> an outlaw scottish yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Wore a lot of hats. Yes. Um, did you have anything else to ask about Jeff before <laughs> I just keep going? What I think we, what I meant to do before we even started the interview was just to give general congrats on the latest uh, To Catch a Raven. Forget oh, that. Yeah. Do you read this book right that here? That book right that there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a different. I don't think it's a different story. I think it's a, a throwback to my older stories. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun to write it. Um, the readers have embraced it really, really well. They're, they're loving it. So, you know, it's on to the next one. I'm working on Lessons 11 now. Mm-hmm. It's been put off for a couple of years because of all kinds of reasons. So I'm trying to get that done so it's not put off third year. And my readers show up outside my house with signs <laughs> and clubs and stuff. So um, trying to get that done. Where do your ideas begin? I know that's such a big question. Probably should have asked it earlier, but no, no, no. Where? I don't know. You know, sometimes it, each book is different. Sometimes they'll start with a kernel of a character or a kernel of a piece of history mm-hmm. or a kernel of a story. We don't know where our stories come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm a pantser too. Uh, pantser is a person who doesn't do a whole lot of outlining and plotting. Story's organic. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of different writers. So we got pantsers, we got plotters, we got people who are in between, and everybody comes at it differently. Mm-hmm. But I am a, a basically a true pantser. I start a book. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. You know, I, you know the characters. They know. They don't tell me for a while. But each book is different. Mm-hmm. So I can't really say. You know how they start, but once I figure it out, then um, I let the characters tell, just tell me the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Oh, thank Beverly. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast here. We are so thrilled to have you, and it's been so great to talk to you. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, libraries are my first love, so keep doing what you're doing because you're raising writers. You know, I may not know it, but. You know, you're raising writers and the readers and all of that. You're very, very important to the community. That's wonderful. I can't, well, and I can't resist one more question. Go for, for those writers who might be listening, this is probably a question you get often, but do you have advice you like to give to writers? Finish the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they spend a whole lot of time talking about writing. You're not a talker, you're a writer. And no matter where you are on the journey, don't let someone else's success make you feel less. Mm-hmm. They're on their journey. You're on yours. So, so finish the book so <laughs> you can be on that podcast with the Ferndale Library somewhere <laughs> in the future. <laughs>
Beverly, thanks so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great rest of your day. Good luck with your deadlines. (laughs) See me on Twitter. (laughs) See you. (sighs) Beverly Jenkins. That. uh, (laughs) Roddy, you held it together. I did. You're really good. Yeah. So now I can re-freak out about it. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to say this is Roddy. Your biggest fan on the planet. I did she not is. ask her to adopt me. I'm really proud of myself. Yes, listeners. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be Roddy's first question. It is the first note on my page. Welcome to the podcast, Beverly. Would you adopt Roddy? I am a turnkey grandchild. I am already grown. I don't need Christmas gifts. And I can take care of myself. I think you two bonded. I think, I think so, too. Um, <laughs> but that is also me still speaking from the high of the situation. <laughs> That was so great. And again, I always have always said, as Mm -hmm. someone who does not read romance, that my misconception always had been that it is escapism. Mm -hmm. A, nothing wrong with escapism, but B, incorrect Mm -hmm. because of how much substance and historical context is threaded into her books, Mm -hmm. uh, as was proven by this conversation. I mean, and other romance, I hope I wasn't throwing anyone under the bus by saying like, oh, it's not just a book that takes place in a year. But a lot of romance novelists do this deep, deep, deep research into even the most minuscule things or things that you might think are minuscule. Um, And they'll have a million tabs open just talking about what they're researching at the moment. So there's, as with any genre, there's a lot. It goes into it. So it's way more than a kissing book. Yes, way more. And as she said, if you are currently in the process of writing a book, finish the book. Finish the book. Also, don't judge your journey by other people's journeys. Yes, all good advice. Um, I'm going to be on cloud nine for the rest of my life. That's uh, right. Maybe we'll get her back on the podcast again in a year. Uh, yeah. And. I will still be internally screaming with glee about it. So, and I want to go read like a million history books. So that's the other takeaway from this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Roddy, congrats. Uh, well done. You made it through an episode. Thank so you. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> you have listened to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast. And it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. We were so thrilled to have Beverly Jenkins on the podcast. Roddy and I are still uh, in utter disbelief that mm-hmm. it even happened. So we thank you for listening. We thank John Duffy for giving us music to play at the beginning and end. And we thank the friends of the Ferndale Library. But we would especially appreciate it if you rated or reviewed or subscribed to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>